it? How many of you believe God has something to say to you today? Well, look, if you believe that or if you're here or you're joining us online and you're open to it, say this with us. Say, I have ears to hear. I have eyes to perceive. And I have a heart to understand and receive the living word of God. Come on now, let's give it up for Jesus. We're excited to have you guys here today. We are continuing in our latest series. Today we come to an end of our latest series entitled Life with Ants. Life with Ants. And I know that for many of us, you don't think about ants. They're inconsequential. You don't pay much attention to them. But this series has taught us directly from God's word some great lessons from one of the smallest creatures in all of God's creation. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. This is a scripture that we, of some verses that we've been looking at repeatedly throughout the weeks because they, they, they warrant us paying attention, digging into them. And so it starts off at verse 6 by saying, go to the end. Go to the end, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Now, this isn't putting anyone down, but what it's saying is we should consider the ant. But why? Because the ant, according to the way it was created, operates according to the wisdom of God. So what's that wisdom? Listen to this, verse 7. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And so as we come to a close on this series, I want us to really just think about some of the many great attributes that the ant teaches us to appreciate, about the small things that make a big difference in our life. A couple of things that we see, and we've kind of touched on these, but I want to kind of just recap it, is that the ant is diligent in hard working. How many of you know that nothing happens if you do nothing? (laughs) Nothing happens if you do nothing. That's wisdom from God, right? And so the ant is diligent and it's hard working. The ant is confident in its ability to do what it was created for. And therefore, it requires little instruction. Listen, God has given us all the wisdom that we require for life and godliness. He's given us all this understanding. His word is revealed. It's plainly spoken. He places people in our lives. He he opens doors for us. He creates opportunities. And what he's saying is this. Look, just do what I've called you to do. The ant believes in the promise tomorrow holds. And so it works today to get there. It works towards it, right? The ant also teaches us that everyone can reap a harvest. Everyone is meant, is created to to get to that point of harvest time where you're reaping from what you've sown. But we must be willing to act upon the wisdom of God. And lastly, though the ant is small in size, listen closely, it's not limited. You know why? Because it's driven by the size of its call. It's clear that I'm called to something greater. And so I might as well begin to believe it. I might as well begin to act according to it. I might as well begin to press towards something more. Can I get an amen on that? And so while these verses give us great insight into the ways of an ant, they provide us a limited view 
into the life of an ant. They only give us an aspect of it. And so thus God tells us to go to the ant and consider its ways. You know, I took that literally. I had to kind of dig in and just study the manner of ants. You know, how do they live life? And so what God literally is inviting us to do here is to look in greater depth into the life of an ant so that we can obtain great wisdom from God. So let me share with you some, some fun facts, some interesting details that I believe will bless you greatly in observing the ant. By design, ants are social creatures. What does that mean? Everything they do is for the benefit and, in, and having the other around it in mind, right? And so it's always focused on more than just itself. What a concept in the world that we live in today. What a concept. Think about that. You mean that there's more besides me? Yeah, there is. And so answer social. Everything they do is for the benefit of the colony that they pertain to and in deference to the queen of the colony. The colony is made up of a few different types of ants. There are worker ants. Those are the smallest ants you'll see. And they're tasked with nest construction and maintenance. They're tasked with foraging the outside surface of the ground for food and for supplies to build the nest. Soldier ants are a bit bigger. And these ants are tasked with protecting the queen and with nest defense. And then there's the queen ant. She's the biggest of all. Many of them are winged. The queen ant is charged with egg-laying and establishing not just a nest, but several nests. So the thing is, once an ant has established, a queen ant has established the colony, and she's, she's built it and they, they, everything is provided for, you know what the ant does? The queen ant moves on, and she establishes another nest. And so also of interest about ants is this, that they all share the load of the other by periodically switching tasks. So the ants don't just, a worker ant doesn't just go, I'm a worker ant, I can't do that. That's not my job title. That's not what God has called me to. Can I tell you how my call started? I started off by cleaning toilets. How's that for ministry? I started off by cleaning toilets. Didn't even know it. And so in considering the greater insight that we have into the life of an ant, we learn that its success is not only tied to its hard work and its confidence in the promise of a harvest. The ant's success is also closely tied to its commitment to the kingdom it lives in and it lives for. Hear closely what I'm saying, because today I'd like to talk to you on the topic of life in the colony. Life in the colony. The ant is successful because it operates according to principles. It operates according to principles that are defined by a system. It operates according to a kingdom mindset. Now, I know that for some of us, you know, that, that's foreign because, after all, we don't have a king or queen, right, in this country or where we come from. Or maybe you do. But the truth is this, that kingdom system, kingdom principles is something that we're all familiar with. You know why? Because we all operate according to a kingdom. We all operate according to a kingdom. The question is, which one? There's the kingdom that's about me. It's all about me. It's about my desires. It's about my goals. It's about 
what I want. We approach relationships that way. We approach careers that way. We approach opportunities that way. We, we approach marriages that way. We approach friendships that way. It's all about me. Then there's a kingdom within that, that that kingdom falls under without God, and it's the kingdom of darkness. It's a kingdom based on lies. It's a kingdom system that's driven by the God liturgy of this world. And then there's the kingdom of God. And you know, Jesus provided us a great example through his manner of life. Despite the fact that he was 100% fully God in the form of a man, he was completely selfless in his approach to life for the benefit of a greater kingdom. You know, in, in teaching his disciples about prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus says this. Listen to Jesus, God, 100% God in the form of a man, and watch what he prays. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what the problem is in the world today? We're living according to what everybody else tells us we're supposed to do. And look, my job here is not to tell you what to my job here is to point you to God. My job is not to give you my opinion. My job is to point you to the truth contained in God's word. The question is, what will you do with it? And Jesus says, your kingdom come, Father. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What kingdom are you living for? See, if you have not chosen the kingdom of God first, it will in the end make no difference what you have chosen instead. I'm going to say that again. If you have not chosen the kingdom of God first, it will in the end make no difference what you have chosen instead. Doesn't matter. Because it won't work. I'll prove it to you. Because you still have to pursue it because you're still empty. You still got to work for it. Because no matter how much you get, it's never enough. See, Jesus had a kingdom mindset. And like the ant, his harvest was also great i got to read something to you that I wrote, just word for word. It says, kingdom-mindedness means being heavenly-minded or being eternity-focused. It refers to making the kingdom of God the nucleus of your living, giving top priority to the affairs of the kingdom of God, striving towards advancement, the advancement of the kingdom of God. Being kingdom-minded goes beyond being engrossed in how much God loves you. Listen closely to what I'm saying. It goes far beyond how much you know about the word of God. You can be knowledgeable in what the word of God says without being kingdom-minded. Listen, you can be convinced that God loves you without being kingdom-minded. You can be church-centric. Everything you do revolves around church, revolves around behavior modification, revolves about looking right, acting right talking right, appearing right. You can do all that. You can be church-centric without being kingdom-minded. And so in the Bible, we have a great example of this through the lives of the people of Israel in the book of Nehemiah. I don't have time to get into this whole story, but I just want to quickly touch on one point. The people were living in captivity, right? Many had forsaken the ways of God, and they were divided as God's people. But God saw fit to bring them together through the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And by doing so, the people not only built the walls of Jerusalem, they also reestablished the prominence of God's kingdom in the land. 
people began to look to God once again as their king. So let's see what we can learn from their example. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, starting at verse 7, it says, But when Samballot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the labors is giving out. And there is much rubble that we cannot, there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore I stationed them, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and, uh, and your house. Sorry, I lost my place here. In your homes. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. And so we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. So I want us to consider something. Upon reading this text, what we see is that the people had to confront an enormous problem in order to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The question is, what was the problem? I'd like to suggest to you that the problem wasn't the opposition that came against them that we read about. Nor was it the rubble of the wall that previously stood, which now lay in ruins before them. That wasn't the problem. None of those things were the problem. The problem that they had to confront and overcome was the very thing that led them to their demise in the first place. They had become a divided people. They had become a people that stopped living as a part of a kingdom. They set aside God, and they set each other aside in the process. These people began to forsake God's ways, and they went in search of idols. They went after the ways of other nations, and as a result, it began a slow and steady process of decay in their faith and in their lives, and it led to division and destruction. You know, it's interesting during these this current times that we're in, it's interesting how many people have fallen asleep. It's interesting how many people have normalized a new way of life 
which isn't new at all. Let me tell you why. Because it's all based on the lie that's always been at work. You don't need God. You don't need people. You can be on your own. You can watch online. It's okay to be afraid and believe God. You can't do both. Wow. I can't believe I just said that. Somebody say with me, I love Pastor Jose. I feel better already. Thank you. Listen, when we cease to live for God, we put to, to a stop the work of God's kingdom. Jesus put it this way. The kingdom of God is near you. It's already in you. It's with you. The power of God, the presence of God, the promises of God, the direction of God. But here's the thing. There's too many of us living like it's not. And it's not that the kingdom of God isn't available to you. It's just that you're seeking another kingdom. No judgment in that. I want you to consider what happens when we adopt this mindset, when, we, when our belief begins to slowly drift away. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, this is God speaking to the people of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, for my people have done two evil things. Listen to what they, they, they did. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. So get the, the imagery here. God's saying they've abandoned this flow of living water that, I've, that I'm giving them. Watch this. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. You know what the original language is saying there? He's saying, listen, here I am giving you living water. I'm placing it in you. I'm giving you everything you need to operate according to it. But you choose to forsake that, and instead you go dig your own well. It's faulty. It's got cracks, and it can't contain what I'm giving you. I'll tell you why that's important. These people, just like you and I, were still vessels for the blessing of God, even though they were making the wrong choices. But because they went in search of life outside of his kingdom, they could not contain the blessings of God. You know, everybody's been digging ditches. We've all been digging. Everybody's searching for something. The question is, are you building for the kingdom or are you building for another kingdom? And so I want to give you three important, uh, four important little things about living for God's kingdom. Just some things to encourage your faith. The first one that I want to share with you is that your greatest defense is when we take the offensive together. I'm, I'm going to say that again because I want you to focus on a one word there. Two words, actually. Your greatest defense is when we, somebody say we, me, you, us. Listen, it's talking about not one person. It's talking about all of us. It's talking about a people united. Your greatest defense is when we take the offensive. Somebody say offensive. How many of you know that there's too many people leave, living on defense and never taking the offense in life? Never pushing forward. Never advancing. We're just waiting for life to happen. What do you want to do with your life? Oh, I don't know. Figure it out as I go along. I can assure you that that's not a, a fire plan for life. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so your greatest defense is when we take the offensive together. And so what we see from the biblical account is that the people of Israel had to face obstacles after they overcame their internal ones but they could not do it alone. 
Listen, in verse 13, what we see is that Nehemiah's response to the individual attacks that were beginning to take place as the people did the work was this. He did not leave them alone to fight their own battles. He did not. Instead, he united the people and encouraged them to use their arms for war. Can we please put up verse 13 again in Nehemiah chapter 4? I want to I read that to you real quick. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 13, listen to what it says. It says, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. Everyone was armed with something. Don't you know that every one of us is armed with something as well? We're all armed with something. The thing is, you might not always see the bigger picture, but there is always somebody else in the body who's armed with vision. Listen, you might not always know what God's word says, but there is always someone else in the body armed with the word in season. You might not always feel your strongest or be at your strongest, but God guarantees that when you are weak, he is strong, and as such, he has brought you into the fold and provided you a people to fight with you, pray alongside you, to encourage you, and walk through it all with you. Now, for you who sit alone at home, for you that seclude yourself and pull back, I want to say something with a sincere level of confidence. And you already said you love me. So I ain't worrying about it. It's time to get back to the things of God. It's time to get back to church. It's time to get back to relationship with people of faith. It's time to get back to dictating the offense instead of living on defense. You know what the problem is when you're on defense? You're just constantly worrying about who's coming at you, but you're never doing anything about getting out of it. It's time to go on the offensive, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to fight for your brother and your sister. It's time to fight for your family. It's time to fight for your faith. It's time to fight for what's right. You know, in the current day and age that we're in, we're seeing that in many different ways, churches are beginning to be inhibited to praise. We can protest, but we just can't praise. I say this with all due respect, and I have no problem saying it for the world to see it online. The day that that happens here, where we are, where we are told, you can protest, but you can't praise, let it be known that this pastor right here will be the first one going out in cuffs. I'm not playing that game. I'm not playing that game. We can't play these games. We can't play these games, ladies and gentlemen. We got to take the offensive with our faith. Now listen, I understand limitations. I understand certain guidelines. It's why we've gone to the greatest measures to do it in a way that honors the laws. But when the law begins to impose on faith to that extent, we got a problem. And I'm telling you this, 
there are too many believers today that will sit back on the sidelines and say, I'll just pray. That's not a kingdom mindset. It's not a kingdom mindset. Verse 15 tells us that the people took the offensive together. Can you put up verse 15, please? And what's interesting is that on verse 15, it says that the people came together and it said that God frustrated the plans of their enemies. Listen, when we band together, not just in prayer, but in action, God frustrates the plans of the enemy. You want to undo the attacks of the enemy? Get together with people of faith. Do more than just pray. Fight together. Listen, there is nothing wrong with saying, I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling distracted. I'm feeling distant. But by God, reach out to someone and begin to surround yourself with people that will build you up because obviously where you've been at hasn't been working. Well, I'm going to leave that one alone. Listen, in Acts chapter 2, we won't turn to it, but in Acts chapter 2, what you see is that the early church was under great persecution. But the Bible says that these people remained in one accord as they waited for the promised baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when it happened, there was a great move of God. The church all of a sudden began to move in authority. There was strength. There was substance to what they were preaching. There was visible, tangible results that were happening. The gospel began to spread and the world around them began to be transformed. But this all happened because they worked together. They were of the same mindset. These were kingdom-minded people. Can I say something to you? Stop hiding. Get about the business of the kingdom of God. You might say, well, you know, I don't know if I believe in God. Okay. I respect what you're saying, but let me ask you a question. Is what you're believing producing anything worth living for? Is it really working? Because if it isn't, then I suggest to you, with all due respect, that God is speaking to you right now. There's something greater for you. The second point that I want to leave you with here today is this. That the strength of God's kingdom is revealed when you fill a gap. God had tasked these people with rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But as they continued building, the people grew stronger in their love for God and each other. And everything began to change for them. We're not going to go back to the book of Nehemiah, but I, I want you to see it for yourself. That the wall starts to get built up. The gaps are being filled. And all of a sudden, the enemy starts getting frustrated. Right? But you know how those gaps got filled? Each one in the body worked for the benefit of the other. And everyone gained momentum as everyone committed themselves to do something. You know, you know what's interesting about geese? Geese are an interesting group of creatures. 
You ever noticed them flying in a V? You ever thought about what that's actually all about? I can assure you it's not just for our viewing pleasure. It's not. They are literally systematically operating according to a, something that's ingrained in them. As they're flying, the one who's at the front, right, he's flapping. But as each one in the row behind them on both sides is flapping, what it's doing is it's providing a gust to the one in front of it. And it's pushing. And you know how you always hear them honking? You know which ones are the ones honking? The ones in the back. You know what they're saying? Keep going. We got this. We can do this. We're going to get there. But what's even more interesting about these geese is this, that eventually the one at the front gets tired. And before he even pulls out to go back to the back of the, of the group, another one comes forward and takes his place. And so they're constantly supporting each other. They're filling a gap. They're helping a greater cause. They're trying to get somewhere. Listen to what Romans 12, 4 through 8 says about you and me. For just as each one of us had, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have, do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, watch this, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You're not your own. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. You know what they're simply saying? If your gift is to share what God is speaking to someone else as you're inspired, then do that. It says, if your gift is serving, then serve. If What a concept. That's a gift. That's a gift. And do you know that each and every one of us has that gifting? But not each and every one of us uses it. So if it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What I want you to see is that each and every one of us has a gap to fill. Each and every one of us builds the kingdom. And when you fill a gap, you help to complete the process of forming one body. I preached this, I think it was two weeks ago. Wake up. Wake up. Let me just say this to, each, to all of us, myself included. Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? I'm, I can assure you this, that each and every one of us can think of someone in the body that we haven't seen in quite a while. Oh, well, you know, circumstances that we're in. Really? 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 Is that the excuse that we're using today? Is that the lie that we're buying? Whatever happened to the power of God at work in you? Whatever happened to the promise of God that by his stripes you are healed? Whatever happened to what Psalm 91 says that you are covered under the shadow of the Almighty? Whatever happened to the scriptures that tell us that no weapon formed against you can prosper? And everything that, every tongue that rises against you, you shall condemn. 
I want to encourage you to find the gap and fill it. And when you do, you'll see the impact it has in your life and the lives of others. Listen, filling a gap ultimately fulfills you. As you're building others, as you're building people, as you're building the kingdom, as you're getting behind the kingdom, as you're supporting the kingdom, as you're encouraging people in the kingdom, as you're reaching out with the kingdom, as you're being the hands and feet of Jesus, listen closely, you find the ultimate satisfaction for life. You discover true purpose. Because purpose is not about you. Purpose is for you. The third thing I want to leave you here as we're wrapping up is this, that when you do the sowing in the kingdom of God, God does the growing. The task before these people in Israel was an insurmountable one. The city of Jerusalem was a heap of burnt rubble. No wonder no one dared to try and rebuild it up until when Nehemiah came. I imagine that they faced so much destruction that no one believed that anything that they could do could make a difference. You ever been there? It's so hard. It looks so impossible that you just go, there's nothing that I could do. They believed, there were people that believed they could not make a difference until someone picked up a rock. But everything's destroyed. Everything's broken. Everything's burnt. Listen, these people had all they needed to build the wall. And it wasn't the rocks and rubble around them. These people had the ordained word of God. Listen closely. They had instruction from God conveyed to them through a man named Nehemiah that told them, build the wall. And as these people began to build the wall, what they failed to realize was that they were building the kingdom and they were rebuilding their lives. If someone would just take a heap and go, I know it looks broken, I know it hurts, I know it's hard, but let me pick this rock up and let me begin to move somewhere with God. Come on now. Listen, I get it. Look, even after they began to build, they eventually began to falter. Can I tell you something? That kingdom building isn't always easy. <laughs> it gets hard sometimes. Speaking to you from personal experience. But the reason they began to falter was because they started to drift away and falter in their thinking and their perspective as was previously defined by the kingdom. They began to lose sight of what this was all about. These people began to look at the work instead of looking at the one who was at work on their behalf. They believed that this wall won't get built if I'm not here. Listen to what God says to, to them through this man named Nehemiah in verse 14. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. 
See, they'd forgotten something. And Nehemiah says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. Fight for your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. And so I say to you directly from God's word to keep fighting for the sake of God's kingdom. Keep fighting, keep pressing forward, keep serving, keep helping, keep encouraging others. You know, the Bible says that the kingdom of God, that the violent are the ones that take it by force. And what Jesus was, uh, was, was alluding to was this, that this kingdom message began to go forward and the masses could not contain themselves. They could not help themselves. They said, I got to hear this. I got to understand this. And the, the crowds began to press. We're the violent today. Because this kingdom is not about passivity. It's time to wake up. It's time to fight. It's time to rise. It's time to stand and keep standing and keep pressing forward. See, when you sow your life, God grows you a harvest. God completely restored the prominence of the kingdom as these people built. It's unfortunate to say, to say this, but the truth is that years later, they once again found themselves in the same place because they began to deviate once again. The last point I want to leave you with here as we stand is this. A principle about life in the kingdom of God, something that is necessary for all of us, that it's all about our king. Remember, the ant, the ant, everything that they do is for the colony and in deference to the queen. The system that they operate by makes way, they yield, they lay down their lives for the benefit of the kingdom and their queen. You know, these people in Israel, they started off with a building project that turned their hearts to God. My prayer and my hope is that you too would rediscover that life in the kingdom is about our king. Everybody's living for a king, ladies and gentlemen. It comes in many shapes, forms, and fashion. For some people, money is king. For some people, me is king. For some people, my desires is king. But you see, that the thing is this, that that king is no king at all. Because it doesn't change you or fulfill you. It encourages you to live for you. I want you to listen as we close here to Hebrews 12, 28. It says, since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, I want you to consider the truth about the kingdom of God. You have received rights to an unshakable kingdom. We should be extremely thankful. Watch this. Here's our response. And offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe. God is giving you access to a kingdom that's unshakable, a kingdom 
that is immovable, incorruptible, a kingdom that doesn't just give you promises, it gives you promise. A kingdom that empowers you, that gives you the ability to do great things. A kingdom that settles hope in your heart. So if you're shaken, if you're drifting, let me say something to you. Speaking the truth in love. Is it possible that if you're shaking, that if you're shifting, that if you find yourself drifting, is it possible that you've let go of the very kingdom that still has a hold on you and is beckoning you to return? You must not be shaken in your devotion and your commitment to God as your king. Father, today we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, today we find ourselves confronted with a simple and yet profound reality that you have called us to life in the kingdom, that you have called us to be kingdom-minded people and that you call us to lay down our lives in absolute surrender in reverence to you. But Lord, you are a God that is good. You haven't called us to slavehood, Lord. Scripture said that you call us friends. And that as your friends, you reveal to us the mysteries of the kingdom. You call us sons and daughters. You call us a royal priesthood, a holy people, a chosen people, a holy nation chosen for your good pleasure. Father, we thank you for that great call upon our lives. And I believe that today, Lord, each and every one of us is confronted to examine which kingdom we've been living for. And today, Lord, we turn our hearts to you. We turn our attention to you. And Lord, we worship you. We worship you, Lord. We declare that you are our king, that you are Lord, that you are mighty, and that you are the high mountain from where our help comes from, our great Lord. It's very possible that there's someone here today, or maybe you're joining us online, and today you find yourself thinking about how you've been living, what principles you've been following, what kingdom you've been seeking. And maybe just maybe there's someone here today online here and what you're thinking about is what kingdom have I been serving? And if you find yourself asking that question, I want to strongly suggest to you that what you're realizing is that you haven't been living according to God's kingdom. You haven't accepted the goodness of God for you. If that's where you are today and you find yourself needing God, I want you to know that God loves you so much that he paid the ultimate price for sin before you were ever born. That's a good God. Listen, God is not handing you a receipt and saying, this is what you got to change for me. God's saying, here's the proof that the price is paid. Now let me teach you and show you something better. Let me lead you according to my kingdom ways. 
If you believe that today and you find yourself needing God, then pray this with us as we close. Say this with us. Say, Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God. I believe that you died and you rose again. I believe that you paid the price for me because you love me. And so today, I declare you my Lord and Savior and that you are my God. And from this day forward, I trust you, I'm seeking after you, and I'm looking after the kingdom's ways. Come on, in Jesus' name, we're celebrating what God is doing in the lives of people. Don't leave here, don't leave us online without telling us what God has done in your life. Now, Father, we thank you for the truth in your word and all that you've done in Jesus. We celebrate the king and your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, God bless you. We'll see you again next Sunday. Thank you for joining us. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray that today's message met you right where you are and that God spoke to you powerfully. If you're interested in staying up to date with previous sermons, new content as we go live, or just being up to date with anything and everything that we're doing, please take the moment to subscribe to our YouTube page. Please make sure also to turn on your notification setting on the YouTube channel so that that way you get notified whenever we're going live. Lastly, I just want to thank you for your partnership and I want to ask you to continue in partnership with us with your giving by giving at our website at ctbny.com backslash give or through our Church at the Bridge app. God bless and can't wait to see you again next Sunday.